fact that um, the Song of Solomon is written for the husband and wife. But it's a picture of what Jesus, how Jesus sees the church and how the church should see Jesus. And tonight we're really going to focus on the latter of those two things, how the church should see Jesus. But we also discuss the little foxes that sometimes get involved and spoil the vines. We learned that as well. And we're going to finish this up tonight. So starting in chapter 4, Song of Solomon, and it starts out like this. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, ladies would like to be compared as a flock of goats, but Solomon is comparing his bride to be as a flock of goats. Now, goats were probably pretty... Uh, pretty uh, attainable back in those days, and, and the more goats you had, the, the richer you were, I believe. So we'll continue reading. Going down from Mount Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like strands of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are or like pieces of pomegranate. Your neck is like the tower of David built for an armory, which on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Now I'm going to stop right there. You can read the rest of that for yourself, but we're going to jump down to verse 7. And right there is where we find this saying right here. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Here Solomon admires his young bride. Everything about her is beautiful in the groom's eyes. She was perfect without flaw. No blemishes could he see. No physical faults, no moral faults. She was physically and morally pure. Husbands, do you see your wives through these kind of eyes? She is pure and perfect both physically and morally. Is that a description of your wife? You may struggle to come to this conclusion in your relationship with your wife, but I can tell you that when Christ looks at you, you are both perfect and pure in his sight. You have no faults. You have no imperfection. You are wholly his. If you have given your life to Christ, this is how he sees you. Jesus truly loves you. He truly does. You are his church. And we know he died for the church. We've, we've dis we discovered that in our first in encounter in Song of Solomon. He gave freely his life so that you and I would not have to. God truly loves us, and he sent his son Jesus to die for us. So how does God see you and me? He sees us as altogether lovely, altogether wonderful, altogether beautiful. The first thing that we find in the, in the book of Job, it tells us there in 34, 21, it tells us this right here. For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all of his steps. God sees everything we've done, everything that we are doing. He sees and he knows and what we will and we, what we won't do. He knows it all. When I say he sees everything, that means everything. Everything that we do, God sees. He sees the steps of man. Everything good, everything great, 
and everything bad. He sees every step we take. He sees it all, and nothing gets by him. In Acts chapter 10, verses 34, Peter tells us this little interesting fact, how God sees us. And Peter opened his mouth, and he said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Now, isn't that an interesting statement? He sees everybody the same. He shows no indifference to those who are his. He sees us exactly the same. He loves us all as his children. The only difference God sees in a person is if they have Jesus Christ in their life. And that's a question you need to ask yourself. Do I have Christ in my life tonight? We have the choice to accept or reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. According to the Bible, that alone gives God the same right to accept or reject us. It tells us only those found in Christ will inherit the kingdom. It tells us that if you are not found in Christ, you will be rejected. In Revelation 20:15, it says, Anyone who, whose name is not written in the, in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Therefore, we know that God will reject man at some point in some time. Job tells us he sees us. Revelations tells us that he will judge us. But I want you to look here. John three sixteen says that he loves us. He says he loves all of us. He says that man can be restored if he only believes in Jesus Christ, his son. And in 1 John 3, 1, it says, Behold, or look and see the manner which the Father has loved and bestowed upon us, that which should we be called children of God. And 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says this right here, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had no, had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God looks at us, and he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And it's a good thing that he does, because of all the bad things that we've done in our lives, why would he want to look at us and see something that's pure and perfect? But we have Jesus, and Jesus' blood was shed for us. We have been washed, and we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. He loves us so much. He cares for us so much. He cares for the brokenhearted. He cares for us when we're sick. He cares for us when we're hungry, and he cares for us when we're thirsty. And all the verses in the Bible, you know, that add up to those things, how much he does care for us. He cares because he sent Jesus to be the cure-all for all the diseases that we have, for all of the hunger we have, for all of the things that we thirst for. Jesus is everything that we need. Now, if you're worried about the things of this world, then you're worried about the wrong things. See, he sees us as all together lovely, all together beautiful, and all together wonderful. But how do we see him? Do we see him as all together lovely? Well, we talked about how the groom sees the bride, and now it's time for the bride's turn. How does she see the groom? In Song of Solomon 5, verses 10 through 16, it says this here. My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as ravens. His eyes are like doves by the river of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like the bed of spices, 
banks of scented herbs. His lips are like lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with, with, with burler. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His accountants is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem. Now, ladies, I know you all wake up every morning, and you roll over, and you say these things to your husbands. Or at least maybe for the first year of your marriage you might did, you might had, right? No? I'm surprised I don't get, get more affirmatives on that. This is, this is how the bride is to view the groom. This is the, the biblical example that we've been given. This is what it looks like to be in love. No? Well, in a perfect world, yes, it would. But when it comes to the spiritual life of the church, you are the bride. And the bride should always look to the groom, Jesus Christ, in this way. We must look to Jesus as our loving Savior, all together loving. Here in Song of Solomon, in the bride's eye, everything about the groom is precious, desirable, delightful. The groom is altogether lovely. And in verse 8 in chapter 5, it goes as far as to say, I am sick with love. I am sick with love. Are we so in love with Christ that we are sick with love? Do we love him so much that, that it makes us sick not to be without him? I was sick not to be here worshiping with you guys last Sunday night. And I'm going to get to some points here in just a minute. And that love that we have for Jesus is part of that fellowship that we have with others. Are we so in love with Christ that we say we're lovesick, lovesick for Jesus? What does it even look like to be in love with Christ? How do we show and live our affections to Christ? I have put together about 15 different things on my list that will help us live a more Christ-loving, affectionate life. The first thing is this right here. We should surround ourselves with others who love Jesus. We have to surround ourselves with others who love Jesus. The author of Hebrews, he encourages the readers not to give up of meeting together. Why? So that we may stir one another towards the love and deeds that we need to be working in. That's in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Healthy Christian community is, is encouraging and a life-giving discipline you know I, I missed sunday and i missed being here with you guys i wanted to be here so badly but i couldn't be and even watching it on live stream wasn't even enough it wasn't enough to 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 feel that gap being here in a in a building that was spirit filled with people who loved jesus and who were worshiping jesus as i watched i could see the place being just overflowed with the Holy Spirit. And it made me long to be with the people of God. This is my church family, and I want to worship alongside of you guys. I just don't understand why people would ever want to miss church. I just don't understand it. The second thing that I think that we can do is commit to constant Bible reading. You knew this suggestion was coming, didn't you? Commit to constant 
Bible reading. God communicates his love, his character, his plans to us through his word. And we must be reading that word. It makes sense that if, if we want to get closer to Jesus, we need to spend time reading the Bible. All the scripture, it says, is God-breathed and is profitable. And is all, ultimately, every single bit of it. Just like what we're doing here, discovering and finding Jesus in every book of the Bible, it all points to Jesus. And we must recognize that. We must especially focus on those kind of things. And we can see his love come out through his ministry and his message that he preached through the Gospels. The next thing would be pray without ceasing. This is no surprise either, is it? Paul encouraged the church at Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and while it was a good idea to have a set time in the morning, it's a good idea to set a time every morning to pray. I want to encourage you to do something else. It's, it's, as while you're going about your everyday life, when those little things pop up, just make it a natural part of your everyday life. As you go through the day, try responding to every event with prayer. Every little event, just make it a quick little prayer. And that way you're constantly spending time in prayer. If you're feeling frustrated or you're feeling anxious and you ask the Lord to strengthen you or empower you during those times, by making it a habit to invite Jesus into your daily activities and experiences, you remind yourself constantly that you rely on him. We can do nothing without Christ. I know what Philippians 4.13 says, and I said this in Bible study the other morning with the men. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I guarantee you one thing, you cannot do anything without Christ. We are unable to, to even fight some of the smallest battles without him in our life. Remember that he is present. That's number four. Remember he's present. He is always present. He's with us all the time. Not only is Jesus with us every moment, but he dwells inside us through the Holy Spirit. He's with you all the time, everywhere you go. On this road, high and low, Jesus is with you. The problem is that we are incredibly forgetful. We forget that Jesus is with us because we often allow sin to slip into our lives. We let the little things catch us off guard. The little sins, the little foxes, so to speak, slip into our lives. We've got to remember that he is here. He's the very God of the universe. He is with us in our best moments, and he is with us in our worst moments. And often we don't even realize it. Sometimes we don't even realize. In Joshua 1.9 it says, Have I not commanded you to be strong and be of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus himself appeared before Joshua. Remember, I don't know if you remember back that far when we talked about the Lord of Heaven's armies, the commander of the Heaven's armies coming and standing in front of Joshua. And he stood there, and Joshua seen the man, and he said, Are you for us or are you against us? And Jesus just simply replied, No. And in that no, he, he was saying, are you for me? Are you against me? Are you with me? Or are you against me? 
And Joshua, right there in that place, Jesus told him to take off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. And Joshua bent down and worshipped him. How do we know it was Jesus right there in, the, in that presence with him? We know because no man has ever seen God face to face. And we know that no man is supposed to worship angels according to what John has written in Revelations. So we know Jesus was standing right before Joshua, right there. So always remember, he is in your presence, and he is always there. Jesus himself is there. The fifth thing that we can do is find ways to serve others. Remember the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus separates the good sheep from the goats based on what they have done for others. He tells the sheep that every drink of water that they gave someone who was thirsty or every stitch of clothes that they gave someone that was naked was kindness that they did for him. As he told them this in Matthew 25, 40, whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers or sisters of mine, you have done it unto me. It's fairly self-evident that if you want to manufacture more positive uh, feelings towards someone, just do something nice for them. Start doing good things for them. As we serve others, it does something inside of us. It gives us a, a great attitude towards them, and, and our attitude will begin to shift. And, and the good news that is that by serving others, we are also serving Jesus. That's why we serve others. That's why we want to find ways to serve others, because we know it's serving Jesus. And knowing, the, knowing that transforms the smallest acts of service and aligns our hearts with him too as well. When we do the smallest things, it'll align our hearts with God's heart. The sixth thing is, is take time to be quiet. Our senses are under a constant assault all day long. There's always something going on around us, loud music or, or noisy things that distract us, uh, stress, they stress us out. They fill us with anxiety. Think for just a moment about the last time you spent a prolonged period of time just unplugged, away from everything. All the noise, all the other things. I enjoy sitting outside in the evening times when the stars start first coming out. That's, that's my favorite time of the evening. I get to sit out there and I get to look up at God's creation. But I just get out there and I get to unplug. How long ago was the last time you just got to sit outside and just unplug, be away from all the noise? And then how long did it last? Was it just a couple of minutes? Was it a long time? You know, we weren't uh, created to be uh, stimulated constantly. And if, if we truly want to connect with Jesus, we need to make the choice to let the, the, the troubled waters that are in our hearts and in our mind come to a rest. We need some peace within our minds and within our hearts. We need, uh, we need to take the scripture seriously when it tells us, be still and know that I am God. We need to take that time for ourselves. Number seven is this here, confess your sins. Unconfessed sin creates a weight that makes walking with Jesus more difficult. If you have sin in your life, sin is a huge distraction, and it distracts you from the one and only thing that's the most important in your life, and that's Jesus. Not only does it constantly nag at us and, and convict us and, and guilt us, 
we also become obsessed with keeping it hidden if we don't confess it. It becomes a barrier between us and God. And it just makes us unjoyful, not wanting to be around other Christians, Christian walk. But John tells us this right here. First John tells us this, that if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. We can always turn to Jesus in our walk and ask him for forgiveness. We can confess our sins to him because if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of each and every one of those sins that are in our lives. The term walk in the light simply means living open and living transparently. We're going to to mess up. That's, there's no doubt about that. We're going to mess up. We're going to get aggravated. We're going to get mad. We're going to, get, we're going to do something. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. But if we want to walk in the light, we need to be vigilant about confessing our sins to God and to one another. That's the hardest, probably the hardest. It's easy to go in your dark corner in your closet and shut the door and pray to God and ask forgiveness for your sins. But what about those sins that you hold between your brothers and sisters? Not very easy to go and confess those sins. But he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we do that. When we are open about our mistakes, Jesus is faithful to forgive us. And we walking with him becomes a delight again. Man, when you've got that sin, when you've got that something in your life that's just not right, that's rubbing between you and God, it's hard to walk with him. But when you remove those barriers and you remove those chains and you remove those burdens, you remember what it's like. Remember what it's like when you first got that salvation from God and Jesus come into your heart. You remember those burdens being lifted off. You can always continually have that if you continually confess your sins to God. And, and not only confessing your sins, but the eighth thing is to be thankful. We've got to have that attitude of gratitude. Something special happens when we practice gratitude. It completely transforms our perspective. When we are constantly practicing certain kinds of, of, of thoughts, they become habitual. When you're practicing good thoughts, they become habitually good. When you practice bad thoughts, they become habitually bad in your lives. If we indulge ourselves in, uh, in the, the, the cynical and the pessimistic attitudes, we will find that everything we see through those kinds of lenses. We, we will see that. But the opposite is true, too. When you practice thankfulness, our eyes are suddenly open to all the goodness that is around us, all the goodness that is in our lives. The great thing about looking at the world through the lens of gratitude is that it turns our hearts towards Jesus and gives us a closer walk with him every day because we remember every good and perfect gift comes from God. The ninth thing is this right here. Read deeply and widely. What does that mean? That doesn't mean study deeper in your Bible. It means this right here. You know, it's, it's, it's been thousands of years since Jesus walked on the earth. People on every continent from every walk of life have, have a story about Jesus Christ. There's lots of stories out there that are really good that, that we don't know because we don't take the time to read some of the other stories that are out there. Some of the other things that have happened in other people's lives. And, I mean, don't just read blockbuster books from good Christian authors. 
I mean, it's always good to read David, Jeremiah, and all these, these other big guys. But, but hunt down some of the, some of the smaller things. Uh, the Voice of the Martyrs is one of the greatest magazines you can just pick up and read some stories about faith and what people have been through in their faithful walks with Christ, what they've been persecuted for. Learn about other Christians. Learn how they've experienced Jesus. And when you learn some of their stories, you'll, you'll, it'll help you see the many facets of his goodness. You'll be able to see all kinds of things that God has done for people. Things that you may never experience otherwise in our little realm of the world. That's one of the reasons I like to read the Voice of the Martyrs and some of the other things, some of the other powerful stories that are just out there on a daily basis that you can, that you can find and read. The tenth thing is this right here, to share generously. Share generously. Stewardship is a, is a vital Christian concept. It basically tells us that everything belongs to the Lord and, and we are simply caretakers of it, right? When, when we take in the beauty that God has created around us, we're looking at what belongs to God. And we need to be good managers of that. And he expects us to be good stewards and good managers of what he's given us. We, uh, when we speak to our children, we're talking to the person that the Lord has trusted us for care. And the same is true with all of our possessions and even our finances. When we really believe that all our resources ultimately belong to Jesus, we're confronted with the question of how are we going to use it for his kingdom. When we realize it all belongs to him, we're confronted. We're confronted with the truth of how are we going to use it for his kingdom and his good and his glory. The great thing is that you begin to live a generous life. You don't become embittered and resentful. It's quite the opposite. You become more aware of how Jesus provides and cares for us. And that's a pretty neat thing when you look at it. The 11th thing is this right here. Watch TV that, is, that depicts Jesus' ministry. Watch shows that are good to watch. You know, we can read the Bible, and you can read it and read it. And we were talking about this this evening. We was talking with Jordan in there just a little bit earlier. He said, man, I can read through that thing, and I'll miss a whole bunch of stuff. Sometimes it's good just to listen to the Bible. Listen to somebody vocalize the Bible. It gives you a different perspective. Another thing that I really like to watch is the skit guys. Uh, they're, they're out of Quail Springs Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. But uh, you, can, you can find most of their videos on YouTube. But they're really cool, generated videos about your relationship with, with Jesus and with God. And they just do it in a unique way. And it's just fun to watch. It opens up your mind. It gives you a different attitude about who Jesus was. And then, of course, my favorite show, and, and, and I've, I've mentioned it many times, and I know uh, Mark and Cindy watch this religiously, but it's The Chosen. And, and I tell you what, when I watch that and I see how Jesus is interacting with those disciples and he's laughing and he's having fun and he's kidding around and he's enjoying himself, i got to think that that's how my Jesus was. You know, there's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't tell us about Jesus' life, but I guarantee if Jesus told the joke, it was the funniest joke there was. Because he's God. I mean, God's got the best jokes, right? He has to. He has to have those kind of things. 
Jesus says that he came so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly. Now, why wouldn't Jesus live that same way when he was on earth? And that's just one of the reasons I, I like the chosen. But we, we are to live and we are to laugh and we are to love our lives in Christ. We are to enjoy our life here on earth. He's given that to us. The twelfth thing is to share your testimony. Share your testimony. Your faith journey is powerful. And your journey is your journey. And it might mean something to somebody else that it doesn't mean to a lot of people. But it, just that one person hears your faith journey, your faith story, your personal story about Jesus Christ, it can have a profound effect on them. It's hard to argue with somebody who's telling you about their own experiences, isn't it? You can't argue with them, can you? This is why your testimony is such an effective tool when it comes to sharing your faith. But another thing is you get out of sharing your testimonies, it keeps it fresh in your mind. You keep repeating it, you keep repeating it. You're always going to be thinking back to when you were saved and the joy that you had in your life. It's a good reminder of the time that Jesus came to you. If you don't have an outlet to rehearse your, your faith journey, then come tell it to me. I want to hear your story. It's easy for us to get to forget all those things if we're not continually repeating it. The joy that Jesus has brought into our lives because of our testimony. What he's done in our lives. Sharing that testimony can be a powerful tool. Another thing is to get out in nature. And I've already said, I've already said this. I love being outside in the evening time when the sun's gone down and the stars start coming out. There's something just that's just restorative about nature. It just restores your soul. When you have a, when you couple it with that silence that we were talking about other, earlier, it can be th pretty therapeutic. It can be pretty healing. For the Christian, there's, there's an added bonus that comes from seeing the creator behind the creation. When you get to see God's handiwork, it's just a great reminder of who God is. Not only does nature calm us and rejuvenate us, it, it makes us erupt in worship to God. It makes us erupt in worship. Who he is, how beautiful he is, how miraculous he is, the great things that he has done. Try to find some nature that has some kind of effect on you. When you find a, a chance to get away, use your time in nature to do some of the things that you need to do, like pray and read scripture, and confess your sins to God, and remember who he is. we got this great opportunity coming up here in just a couple of weeks. It's called Camping with Christ. We're going to be out in nature, enjoying God's nature, and enjoying some rest and relaxation away from the, the, the typical days that we usually have. We're going to get to be out in nature with him. We're going to be worshiping him. In nature, and it'll be a great time to experience that as a church and as a church family. Another thing we can do is ask for a revelation of His love. Ask for a revelation of His love. In His letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes this most beautiful prayer. It's in Ephesians three fourteen through nineteen. For this reason, I bow my knees to my Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom, 
the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you might, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height. And he's talking about the love of Christ. Understanding that knowledge, to know the love of Jesus Christ with passes knowledge, with passes understanding, as some versions say, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Isn't that a great prayer? Just think about that. That's what Paul, he prays this for the church at Ephesus, to experience a revelation of Christ's love because it's the only way that we can truly understand it. If Christ reveals his love to us, it's the only way that we can truly understand his love. I can't understand why Jesus would want to leave glory and come down to earth and die for a wretch like me, a sinner like me, but he did. He did, and that's some, some of the things that we need to understand about who Jesus is. As he puts it, it's beyond knowledge. But having God reveal how wide and how long and how high and how deep Jesus' love is for us can make all the difference in your walk with him. And the number 15 is to, to make choices that draw you closer to Christ. Make choices that draw you closer to Christ. It's easy to think of life as simply consisting of good choices and bad choices. Good choices, evil choices. As long as something isn't bad, it must be good, right? As long as something isn't bad, it must be good. Well, not exactly. Because Paul says this right here. He explains to the church in Corinth in this way right here. I have the right to do anything you say but not everything is beneficial. And I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. To maintain a passionate connection with Jesus, we often have to make choices that go far beyond whether an action or an activity is just simply good or bad. The real question the mature Christian needs to ask is whether or not our choices are being bringing us closer to Jesus. Are our choices bringing us closer to Jesus? Or are they helping distract us from him? Tending the fire. I know it's hot outside and fire. Tending fire is the last thing that's probably on our minds. But it's nearly impossible to go through the motions or maintain our passion for Christ. It's like a, a home that's warmed by a fireplace, by a stove. We need to tend the fire. And when it comes to falling deeper in love with Jesus, the key lies in being intentional about it. We have to be intentional. We need to be aware that our tendencies for our zeal, to cool it will cool over time. And we need to make sure that our fires are tended daily. These things that I've given you, we need to make sure that we're doing these kind of things to make sure that our fire stays burning on a daily basis. When we do these things, the world will see us as who we are, the bride of Christ. They'll see us as the church. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, love is the greatest of faith, hope, and love. 
Love is the greatest thing. And that love never fails. It says that same thing in the same chapter. Love never fails. Thank God that his love never fails. And I'm going to close with these verses tonight. Song of Solomon, verses 8, 6, and 7. It says, let our loves be like this for Jesus, who has given us everything for who he is, because he first loved us. It says this right here, set me as a seal upon your heart. Set as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealous as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most hot flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it out. Our love needs to be on fire for Jesus. Let your love for Jesus never fail, because his love for you has never failed. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. As Pigeon comes to play, maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and tonight would be that opportunity for you to come and ask Jesus to come into your heart and show you his love, the love that he has for you. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever just believed in the name of Jesus and who Jesus is as a person, God's son, came and died on that cross for your sins. If that's you tonight and you need to ask Jesus into your heart, come up here and meet me at the altar and we will pray. We'll show you through scripture how you can give your life to him. Confess your sins to him and start your love journey with Christ, relationship walking with him. Tonight as Christians, you may just need to come up here to the altar and confess your sins and get back in that right relationship with God tonight your heart to him start walking in faith with him again we got many in our church that are that are fighting illnesses and that are sick we need to be lifting those folks up in prayer tonight the altars are open for you as Christians just to, to come and, and just tell Jesus that you love him that you thank him for dying on the cross for your sins and the relationship that you have with him and to strengthen that relationship once again. Maybe you need to pray that prayer out of Ephesians there and he will show you that love that he has for you.